Hello and welcome to the Mount Rushmore Podcast. I'm Jeff Hopkins and I'm joined by my good pals, Richard Manfredi. Hello. And Michael Winfield. Howdy. And these guys, as you know, if you're a listener, spend a lot of their time arguing about stuff. It's usually the Mount Rushmore of life, four things that best represent a certain topic. And my job is to come in and kind of put a hand on one, put a hand on the other, keep them from beating each other up and ask them to just talk it out. Talk it out. Let the other person know your point of view about the subject, which this week is fictional wealthy people. Richard, this is your choice. Yeah, it was. And um, partially it's just because there's so many great fictional wealthy characters. I thought we needed to hash this out. And also, and I know Michael does the categories usually, but there are so many different types of fictional wealthy people. And on top of that, most fictional wealthy people are just automatically the villains. And I know there's going to be some exceptions to the rule. I've Mm -hmm. even got one in my list, but I'd say they're the, they are the exception to the rule. Most of the time, if you see somebody who's rich, you just automatically know, Oh, there's the bad guy. I took so much like life. Yeah. I took this stupidly seriously. I, (laughs) I had to, yes, I do tend to break things down and I did into four categories. Good, evil, uh, lucky and nonsensical. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, but I built, and three-dimensional graph and tried to place uh, a bunch of de- a list of characters within them to see, well, were they good and lucky? Are they good and generous? Are they no one, by the way, is evil generous. <laughs> there's like there's like evil and uh, thrifty mm, and uh-huh. uh, yeah. good and um, frugal. Uh-huh. So we'll put we'll put that on the website, too. And I send it to you guys. But it's, I, I spent way too much time at work doing it. <laughs> This thing, but um, so who goes first? You go first. I go first. You go first. I go first. Uh, my good choice is Scrooge McDuck. Oh yeah, yeah. And also, by the way, my first choice. So we're, I, we agree on this. It one. should be. You know, there are times when you're you look at Mount Rushmore and you're like, yeah, George Washington should be on there. So it's it's kind of a no brainer. He is um, the richest duck in all of Duckburg. Mm-hmm. Which does that exist in the same? I guess that's just within the Disney world. Yeah. Where does Mickey live? Mouseville? I have no Mouseville? idea. Mouseville? There's Mickey in, to- in Toontown, Toontown and Disneyland. Wait, is, Disneyland. is Disney really segregated? I don't can know. Only, can you only live in like... Are there ghettos? Are there slums? Well, you know why there are. Because Scrooge McDuck has <laughs> all the money. You're saying he's a slumlord? Possibly? <laughs> he is... Um, he's a really fun character and, and doing some research um, created in 1947... Um, by um, Carl Banks for initially it was just for a single comic strip and then they eventually kind of expanded him out into they're like hey this this money thing plays so <laughs> let's keep going with it um, but he became an adventurer was very hard working but also the, very thrifty very thrifty and also doesn't believe in banks no well, which is really strange <laughs> because you know you would think if you have and Forbes has estimated his worth at 8.2 billion dollars. Oh, I saw some incredible numbers. So, here here are some possible networks. Okay. And this is going to take a little while. One was a uh, one multi-pajillion 9 obsquat to million $623.62. Okay. Uh, I've seen 64.5 billion, okay. which is from Forbes, 11 octillion mm. dollars. Mm. Um 5 billion Quint- like I could go on. They're just insane numbers. They, yeah. They're just like made up, I guess, cartoonish numbers, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. makes sense for a guy that swims around in money. In, in, gold, is- in gold coins. In gold By the coins. way, which I, I guess my point is, if you stop storing your money in gold coins in your swimming pool and just put it into a bank, maybe an offshore investment or something like that, and 
you would stop the Beagle. The Beagle Boys would not be trying to, to rob you all the time. I just wonder who on the Forbes magazine staff who has a PhD in like financial <laughs> writing says, Peterson, I got a story for you. The Scrooge McDuck fella, figure out his net worth. Uh, I saw one one article that said, well, Scrooge McDuck is about three feet tall and about 20 pounds. And they compared him to the size of his giant money bin right. and tried to estimate his net worth based on size and weight of uh, okay. fic- fictitious duck. Okay. Fictional duck. Yeah. Oh. Fictitious <laughs> duck. Also, Mythbusters did test that if you tried to dive into a, a pool full of uh, gold coins, you'd probably break your neck. Yeah. Although he is a duck, so he may be better at this. Also, he does have a lot of liquid I am amazed that within the world of the duck, uh, Disney duck um, people, that there's the anger management duck of Donald. And then there's orphan ducks, Huey, Dewey and Louie. And then there's Scrooge, like the the disparity. (laughs) But it does seem like the middle class uh, is kind of disappearing in that world because like the rich are getting richer. Scrooge McDuck is getting super wealthy and Donald can't afford pants. (laughs) So, by the way, how did you guys know how he made his money? Um, Any research? Did you figure that one out? Uh, I think it was, uh, I know how he made his first dime, which is actually a nice lesson on hard work. Where right. He, um, he was, he was paid his first dime for, I think it was shining shoes or something. Uh, yes. And someone, you know, paid him for it, but they didn't give him like a Scottish dime or whatever. Give an they American gave, dime. An American dime. And he was, so he felt swindled. And so he swore that he would never be swindled again and kind of never looked past all the hard work that would, that would go into mm-hmm. it. But uh, he was like a adventurer or something. Klondike strike. That's right. That's right. He struck big in the uh, Klondike. Yeah. Probably okay. the Klondike, I'm guessing. Oh, geez. Are you said mine was bad. <laughs> You've both chosen the Scrooge McDuck. So, uh, Richard, what's your second? Okay, I'll give you, give you my second. But first, I just want to point out that uh, Scrooge McDuck does not actually wear pants, even though he has clearly enough money to wear pants. So the whole it's like drug duck. But he does wear spats. It is like no shoes, no, no, no shoes, shoes no pants, just spats and a monocle. <laughs> much like much like in my bedroom. <laughs> so my first one, a slight cheat, maybe because it's actually two of them, but they're kind of a part and a piece of the same unit. Uh-oh. It's the uh, Duke brothers oh. from tr- from Trading Places. Nice. This, is, this is when we Good can pull. start comparing lists. It's Mortimer nice. and Randolph Duke. Because uh, I have them on mine as well. Oh, but dear. Go ahead. Oh, dear. We're we. You know what? But if we can pull off the rare quad draw, same picks. Then we make yeah. Jeff's, which then Jeff is <laughs> what are the meaningless. I'll ahead. still pick one of you over the other. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't like your face. I, I picked this one just because I needed the most evil rich people I could think of. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure there's like, you know, Bloomfeld from from James Bond is actively yeah. trying to like blow up the world is but it, i'm but i mean like realistic kind of like evil yeah looking at my graph they're way down at the bottom on evil um they're slightly over towards they're really towards entitled because i think they inherited all their money right and um also next to question mark i guess i couldn't think of the first thing <laughs> but i mean that i mean I mean, obviously, the whole premise is them screwing Dan Eckwards like life up just to settle a bet. Yeah. Which is to prove a bet. And also, they're trying to corner the orange juice market. Frozen, with no, frozen, no. frozen, frozen, orange concentrate, orange juice <laughs> market, which, by the way, is the most incredible detail and like the most rich dick thing to try and do. It's like one thing you're like, OK, we're trying to like corner, you know, mess with oil prices. Well, but messing with frozen, like concentrated juice, that's just like, yeah, that's just next level dickery. Yeah, it's like taking a. Eat- 
candy from a baby. You know, when, yeah. you know when they say something really affects, you know, it affects the breakfast table. Right, literally yeah. affects the uh, breakfast wh- table. What is the, the, I mean, even a dick, dicker, mm. dicky, dicky, more dicky, dicker. more dickish, more dickish. I, I knew I was uh, missing uh, part uh. of it. Is that the bet was for a single dollar? Yeah. Like that's, that's the insult to injury is right. that, you know, they are millionaires and it's, Mm-hmm. Over a buck, mm-hmm. right? And I, it, it, I'm still not convinced the Duke brothers are not the Koch brothers. That they, oh, they yeah. just didn't They're evolve somehow. Yeah. What do you like about this, Michael? I liked that. I liked that they were evil. I liked that. I liked that they eventually got their comeuppance mm-hmm. in a way that I still don't understand. I've seen the movie. I don't know how many times. Like following, and I started reading about. Okay, so. They got a fake report, yeah, and they invested on what they thought the orange juice market would be, but then the price was lower than they were. So, oh no, here let me break it down real quick. I got, but this. like I, I got this, guys. I got I, this. So, uh, so, <laughs> so, so they were going to get this report, early report on uh, the orange juice market, and they wound up getting fed wrongly. Yeah. Was that the? Uh, there's a really going to be a really low amount of orange juice. I mean, the prices would be are, would be driven up because supply and demand. So they wound up investing heavily in it because they thought as soon as that report was released, prices are going to go up and they're going to control the whole market. Well, it turns out that the orange juice uh, production was normal. So they had bought all of the orange juice futures at this very high kind of level. Right. Meanwhile, Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy had kind of short selled the uh, the orange juice market, so they wind up buying it, being able to buy it back at a lower price. So see, that's how they made the money. See, there's that's where the disconnect is. Is like I didn't understand why they started reselling it, and I guess going through it, I guess they wouldn't sell it back to the Dukes. Right. They they literally sold it back to everybody except for the Dukes. Right. Okay. So it's so they they purposely just to screw them. Did you see that like uh, a part of like Frank Dodd? Like the yeah, there's Eddie Murphy role. That's a, I think that's a pretty incredible thing to come out of this. Movie. Yeah, they actually passed a uh, as part of Frank Dodd in 2010. There's a, uh, a, a provision in there that it's not officially called the Eddie Murphy rule, but it's been called that that specifically prohibits the type of insider trading mm-hmm. that the Dukes were trying to accomplish. And whichever congressman introduced it basically referenced actually referenced trading spaces. Oh wow, or trading places yeah. when, uh, when when introducing it. So mm-hmm. was there any provision in Frank Dodd that spoke to? Um, Gorilla rape and like <laughs> yes. strange train racism that oh, happened. Right. Uh, oh, so by the way, I don't know that move that was so weird. A gorilla, it's a gorilla, by the way. And it's uh, so the what is his name? The actor, uh, Paul, du- Paul Dooley, was actually that part they wanted, they really wanted to get G. Gordon Liddy. Oh, that's okay. who they wanted for that part, and he was mm. actually committed to do it. Until he found out there would be a gorilla train rape scene, and then he backed out. It's too close to home. Yeah, it was a little, a little too much like his prison time yeah. post during post Watergate. But that's also why in that scene or one of the scenes, Paul Dooley's character is reading uh, G. Gordon Liddy's mm-hmm. autobiography. It's oh. a little, like inside joke thing. Is there some reason? I, I think there's some reason. Obviously, we live in a capitalist country, and we're about to uh, elect a fictional bad guy as our president. <laughs> but is there something about these characters that we really admire, or something secretly? Because I remember thinking the Duke brothers are actually really kind of cool, you know, for a couple of old guys because they were played by old uh, old Hollywood Hollywood types. guys who were kind of the the a leading men in their time. But is there something we like about rich? Guys, I think it depends on how they use the money. Yeah. We'll get to it on my next pick, but I, I like 
Is it a part of our fantasy that we were that way, but we would be benevolent, not not a bunch I of guess jerks? So. Yeah. yeah. What I, I did like about uh, the Duke brothers is that they reappeared in a later Eddie Murphy <laughs> yes. movie. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in uh, Coming to America, where it was such like such a perfect callback. Yeah. That. I guess, you know, they're just these two bums on the side of the street and Prince Akeem hands them a stack of cash or a bag of cash or something. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're like, we're Mortimer. We're, we're back. back. <laughs> and it was, it's, kind of, it, uh, it's, it's a great little scene. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, a perfect fun little, little callback. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, remember when Eddie Murphy was good? Oh, you remember that? We guys remember that? He's been a good a couple times, so he's kind of been back. I think of really? Mean Girls is coming back as this time where oh, but that gosh, was like I was great. that was like five years ago or maybe even more. I'm just saying there's a couple good eras for Mr. Murphy. Hmm. So uh, I think we are halfway now. We are halfway, and I want to remind everybody that uh, you know you can tell us who your favorite fictional wealthy person is by going on to the comments section of our Facebook page. Or you could find out the supporting videos and links and items that we have by going to our website. And you can also recommend to us ideas that you think would make a great fictional, I'm sorry, a great Mount Rushmore and get in the dialogue with us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. And let us know what you're thinking. Please rate this podcast when you find it on iTunes. It really means a lot that you sit down and say just a few words. Hey, this is good. You should listen or tell us tell what you really think. No, don't do that. Yeah, keep it to yourself, jerk. (laughs) Who cares what you think? Do you have a podcast? No, you don't. Okay. So uh, we have gone to our halftime and we're back. The fictional wealthy people, uh, top four Rushmore choices is what we're going for. I think... You are at your third. Technical, technically, it's Michael's pick. Yeah, I will then probably agree with. And right. really we screwed yeah. this whole thing up. We played that yeah. to a draw that first half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, come going to come out hot with Head on halftime talk. Doctor right. the talk to the <laughs> troops. Uh, podcast, not a chair. Wait, what? Monty Brewster from right. the film <clears throat> Brewster's Millions. That's great. Right. That's a good one. This uh, this was a super fun movie that was based on. Uh, I believe it was like a musical or a play. Oh, it was a movie uh, in the 40s or early 50s. Yeah, there have yeah. been many like renditions Versions of, of it, this. yeah. But um, basically, uh, uh, Monty Brewster is a minor league ball player, a baseball pitcher for the Hackensack Bulls, which is a really nice name. It is good. I like uh, Hackensack is just a good. There are no blue dragons or anything <laughs> like that, but, you know. Right. Um, and uh, he and John Candy, I can't remember John Candy's character's name. but uh, they Toby get, McFatguy. There you go. They get into a bar fight. And um, they can't make bail, but some some lawyers show up and they're bailed out uh, by these lawyers who take them to, I guess, uh, Brewster has like like a relative, like a far, pretty far flung relative, an uncle or something or grandfather. And of course, it's, you know, some old white guy, which is adds to the humor. And he leaves him an inheritance with uh, some great conditions uh, or he has options. He can either take one million dollars and just kind of go away. Or, uh, and if that's the case, if he goes away, uh, the money goes towards charity and the law firm that that bailed him out gets a a big portion of that. Or he can accept the conditions of uh, he has he inherits 30 million dollars, but he has to spend it within 30 days. And if he happens to do that, uh, he inherits three hundred million dollars. And of course, there's conditions there. You can only give so much to charity. You can only gamble so much. And like he can't wind up with anything. At yeah, the end he has of it. to have no assets. So he ends up staying in a hotel mm-hmm. instead of buying a home because that would be an asset. He hires different people to help manage his money. He, you know, it's, it's just so he much. runs for runs for like 
like mayor of New York or Chicago, wherever it's supposed well, to be. Well, but he here's the catch with that. But is that that would entail a salary. So he ends up running under the platform of none of the above. So he doesn't want he doesn't want to uh, win win, but he wants but he's trying to put all this money into mm. uh, this ridiculous uh, campaign campaign. Yeah. And of course, you know, on the other side, but he can't and also he can't tell anybody about it. Right. So his John Candy, his friend John Candy is making all these great investments and making him money. And he's like, he's tearing his hair out because he just can't he can't have that. But what I thought was really funny and like kind of um, prescient about the none of the above is that's kind of like how half the country wants to vote right now Mm -hmm. in our upcoming election. Right. Is that they don't want they don't want any of the candidates in there. What's your third, Richard? No, no. Real quick. Brewster's millions. I I, I thought about this one because it's great because it's a rich guy who wasn't a rich guy and then has to work very hard to not be a rich guy so he can become an even more rich guy. I, I think it's I, I think it also is like it kind of shows, you know, everyone, everyone kind of wants to be rich, but you have no idea how much 30 million dollars is mm-hmm. you, like. Could you spend 30 million dollars in a month or, or really understand the tangibility? There is one high priced par- prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. Was there some sort of rule that he couldn't just like hire somebody for 30 million dollars to do something? It had to be for like fair or fair market value. Fair market right? value. OK, but I just. Trying to spend that amount of money is so intriguing and I think very enticing. And I, you know, the movie was just fun. Yeah, it's a fun movie. I love it. Okay, so for my third one, I am going with J.R. Ewing ah, Ooh, from, good one. from Dallas. Yeah. One of the most iconic, rich, kind of arrogant jerks that I think America has ever uh, produced. Recently, they had the CNN had the uh, miniseries of the 80s mm-hmm. that Tom Hanks co produced. And we saw the billboards all over town. The main face, one of the main faces you saw was. J.R. Ewing smiling at you, smiling at you with his big, uh, big old cowboy hat, because he really was kind of like the symbol of especially early 80s kind of greed. Yeah. And wealth as sort of worth, like whatever your worth in life is really whatever your net worth is in life. Hmm. Um, and he was really one of the first like kind of villains that, you, you know, the, that you love to hate. So he was rich and he was did some pretty shady evil things mm-hmm. you know like uh driving his uh, wife to the sanitarium and drink and drinking by all his shenanigans and getting people uh trumped up on drug charges and run out of town yeah. trump 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 <laughs> glad you caught that i mean here's the thing he's basically a lot more likable version of donald trump mm. and i'd probably <laughs> vote for him if i had the chance yeah i mean he's an american ego the, the classic american egoist and like basically He's not allowed to actually like prove his worth by whipping his dick out and sticking mm-hmm. it out all over mm-hmm. a place to have mm-hmm. a measuring contest. So instead, he just sort of does it with os- like ostentatious wealth. Yeah, but he's fun. I mean, just J.R. Ewing was a blast. I hated like the later episodes where he they started to try and like soften him up a bit, humanize him, and like yeah. like he I don't I don't even remember like he did something with orphans or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was stupid. And but the last few years of Dallas was really bad. I used to watch because my mom watched. It was really bad. Yeah. Very much a departure from his I Dream a Genie persona, which is pretty much the good guy and a very likable guy who was had an incredible wealth in terms of this magical woman who could do anything for him. Right. <laughs> but totally, totally sweet. For, for this likable. character, the magical woman was oil. Was oil. <laughs> She's a cruel mistress. Yes, she is. Oil, lamp, it all connects. <laughs> there Wait, we go. What? No, no, I think we're on to something, boys. <laughs> no, I just, like I said, just J.R. Ewing to me was like growing up when you thought, who's a rich person? Yeah. Oh, J.R. Ewing is a rich person. That's and to be rich, you have to be the type of person who is cutthroat, who is willing to screw over your family, mm-hmm. who is you know w- willing to do whatever it takes to maintain that wealth and grow it. 
Okay, Michael, I think this is your fourth. This is my last pick, and this is my nonsensical slash idiotic one, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was uh, Thurston Howell III. Oh. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm happy about this one because I get to hear you do your Thurston Howell voice well, again. It's, uh, my, my Thurston Howell <laughs> voice is also my Morrissey singing voice. Uh, I love... He is one of my favorite characters of all <laughs> That's time. Your, I stepped on a rusty nail. No, oh, I have lockjaw. Really <laughs> Thurston Howell is just... Everything about that show is nonsensical, mm-hmm. but the fact that they pack so much money to travel to this island. Yeah. They just always carry this money. Yeah. And that his richness, he believes that it has... That he's still, he believes that he's still elite on this island of just seven people. Yeah. Uh, Where the currency is coconuts. (laughs) He's uh, uh, amazingly lazy and hires Gilligan. Yeah. Like, and Gilligan, like everyone goes along with it. Maybe they're in like just this weird. (laughs) Denial. Like Stockholm syndrome sort of thing. Like this is, this is, listen guys, this is what we got to do to survive is I've I've just got to be, you know, complete. I got to be the top dog here or else I don't know what's going to happen. Right. He, uh, some of his. Uh, some of the things that made him rich. He's, he's got a, a home in 50 states. Each one of the states. Yeah. He has a home there. That's a, that's he a rich guy. He seems very nouveau riche. Like, he doesn't seem like he's from old money, although I think he oh, is. No, no, he's the third. Old he money. inherited the money. I mean, he's a Harvard graduate and hates hates the Yaleys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a Republican member of the Union League Club and Newport Yacht Club and Sunny. Any part of, if you're part of a yacht club, yeah. you're just a rich <laughs> I like where it's interesting you didn't mention Lovey in this because she, in theory, has half of the wealth. Yeah, they probably have a, a really. I think uh, there's yeah, a prenup. I think there's a solid a, prenup they've before got, that. They, yeah, they 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 had lawyers. Yeah, dra- drag over um over uh, their finances. Um, I got a stupid story to tell. So, in and I don't know where else I'd get a chance to tell the story, so I'm <laughs> going to use it here. In high school, in the eleventh grade. We made a Spanish. We had to make a Spanish video for Miss Spatafora's class, and we were in like groups. Senora Spatafora. That's right. Thank you. Uh, I didn't do very well, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but uh, so uh, it was like five of us, and we made this video, and it was based on Gilligan's Island. I think it was my idea. Um, so, <laughs> I don't, you know, what do, what do you want me to do? So the idea was, well, there's only five of us, but so we had to. We basically we killed off the howls in like a fake rock slide, and I did it with like <laughs> I did it with like action figures. Uh, but they le- they left the money to Gilligan. I think I played Gilligan. Did I play Gilligan or Skipper? I think Is I was Gilligan. Fame? Did you play Marianne? Is that who you played? <laughs> no, this girl Trish played Marianne. Our friend Gohar, she was uh, Ginger. I don't remember who the professor was. My good friend Romeo was. Uh, I think he was a skipper. Mm. So basically, uh, the story was you, we left this money to. Gilligan, and mm-hmm. he had to decide what to do with all of this money. And of course, this just plays into the they're on an island, and what's the money going to do? They're still stranded yeah. there. So everyone tries to uh, kind of win his affections over. You know, he Skipper promises that they'll buy a boat together and sail around the world. And Professor says, "Oh, you know, you give it to me, and we'll donate it to science mm-hmm. and save a bunch of people." Was the script and- based on what words you knew in Spanish? I think so. Okay. Uh, also, there was a monkey involved, and I just you know, look up the word for monkey. Somebody, somebody had to get directions to the library. So, so yada yada yada. At the end of it, uh, Gilligan decides, "Oh well, I'm just going to give the money to everyone equally." Yeah. You know, that's a benevolent thing that Gilligan yeah. would do. So he gathers people around to uh, the edge of a cliff, or he's on the top of a cliff, and like so he can talk down to them or yell at them. Right. And he sees a boat. And he's like, oh, my God, we're saved. And then he causes a rock slide and <laughs> kills everyone. And then he's saved and he's laughing maniacally <laughs> and has all the money. So, yes, I do like Gilligan's Island a lot. And so, yeah. Okay. 
Sorry, I, I that was just a that's a good story. Yeah. Uh, Thurston Howell, I think, uh, represents the end of the 20th century, or the kind of the midpoint of the 20th century's idea of what a wealthy person was before Bill Gates and some of these other technology mon- people emerged. Mm, that's as a good point. Who who the rich people were like, hey, and he's also kind of he, he is old money, so his money came from generations and generations of probably industry or yeah, oil. You know, he had oil fields and owned all of Denver. He's a yeah. baron of some sort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Richard, uh, wind us up here. All right, so I'm going with the uh, classic movie, uh, Rich Guy. Uh, that would be Charles Foster Kane mm. from the movie Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. Uh, living in his house, his mansion, Xanadu, mm-hmm. cost. No man can say. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, is one of those lines anytime someone mentions I think San uh, Simeon. Is based off of is that. Because, off, yeah. because um, well, at the time, everyone assumed that that Charles Foster Kane was based on Hearst. William Randolph yeah. Hearst. Now Orson Welles has later claimed later claimed that no, it was actually just kind of a composite mm-hmm. of all these kind of like magnates from the okay. early you know twentieth century. Mm-hmm. It just so happened that Hearst was in publishing, Kane was in publishing. Yeah. Kane had a wife who was uh, wanted to be an opera singer. Mm-hmm. You know, Hearst had a wife who wanted to be a, a movie star. So there were. Similarities seems <laughs> mainly because Hearst was trying to sue Orson Welles for defamation and get the movie blocked uh-huh. right from uh, ever coming to air. Which, by the way, there's a episode of You Must Remember This, the podcast that talks about Hearst and Citizen Kane and also his wife, uh, Marion Davies, which is fascinating. If you guys get a chance to listen mm-hmm. to it, definitely go for it. But Kane is, you know, Charles Foster Kane, it's great because he's not evil. Yeah. Like he's. He uses his money to push forth his agenda, though. Right. Oh, he's definitely a bully. Yeah. He definitely, uh, you know, uses his money for, you know, to amplify his, his, his beliefs. But he's not like a bad guy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, his yes, his newspapers are yellow journalism, but very frequently also kind of pushing for the common man. And when he runs for or so governor, I guess, you know, his his pulpit is kind of described the way it's described it. It's really described more as almost like a a populist sort of like Huey Long Mm -hmm. type of uh, platform that's really more about taking control away from the corporations and giving it back to the workers and things like that. Um, So he's really kind of arguing against his own self-interest. So, you know, he's he's not this kind of mustache twirling evil bad guy. He's just somebody who just sort of lets the power go to his head eventually. And eventually that's kind of what leads to his downfall. So at the at the beginning of the film when he's taken away so his his family comes into money right like his parents come into oil money or something right? yeah yeah so he's t- why isn't I don't like I didn't understand or why he went to live with someone else when like couldn't his, couldn't he have lived with his parents well, his parents, had, parents are killed at some point right and then does he go to I'll live see, yeah I, I think that's know. right isn't it yeah, it's been it's it's admittedly been a few years since I've seen it, yeah. but but his parents I think were named Rose and Bud, <laughs> right? <laughs> and there was like a big fire. I don't know. It's been a few years since I watched <laughs> it, guys. But uh, I mean, I mean, that's he, the kind of jokes I like. Those are dad jokes those if I've ever heard them. Dad jokes. So he's just like the the like I said, it would have been easy to make him a stock bad guy kind of character, but he is much more of a a rounded figure of a complex rich person. Mm-hmm. Okay, so each of our contestants, Michael and Richard, have registered all four of their choices, and very briefly, I want to register my choice of fictitious rich person, and that not is... Not fictional, fictitious. Not fictional, fictitious. Wait. Fictional and fictitious, because my choice is Kanye West. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't have a choice this week, but uh, I'm going to let you know who the winner of this uh, 
competition was. And it's really close because uh, two of the four choices of each of our contestants were the same. That is Scrooge McDuck and the Duke brothers, Randolph and Mortimer Duke. Uh, Michael chose Monty Brewster, showing a little bit of diversity in the rich bad guy category. That's true. Although I have a question as to whether Monty Brewster ever really was wealthy. Was he a fictitious bad rich guy or was he ever really rich? Well, at the end, he at is. the end, he was. He okay. gets that three hundred million. He gets that three hundred million. Spoiler alert. So okay, and Thurston Howell the third, but uh, uh, Richard also chose uh, J.R. Ewing, and due to the invocation of the Citizen Kane reference, uh, Richard wins this episode of Good the job, Mount Richard. Rushmore Good podcast because anytime you mention the film Citizen Kane, it always <laughs> tops the list of every AFI, every Rolling Stone, every cinema file magazines, top everything ever. And it was also a really great choice because all the depth and texture and we see how much, I think we've seen how much through this entire podcast, wealth doesn't mean happiness. Um, you look at the front page and you'll see headlines about people who had all the money and opportunity and, and assets in the world who didn't didn't buy happiness. And Charles Foster Kane certainly was one of those guys. So so awesome. So I so as per the rules, I will I will, by winning this, I will get all of the revenues, all the revenues from, from the podcast. this podcast. Yeah. So see you suckers later. Yeah. I'm going to Vegas. Yeah. So uh, farewell from the top of a pile of gold coins. Yes, we're all that I will be diving into <laughs> and breaking my neck. This has been Jeff and Richard and Michael. Thank you.